Coming up in this podcast, state and federal budgets, three by-elections in WA, or maybe four, regulator activity, and our special report this week is the wine industry. Welcome to Mark My Words, the weekly podcast from Business News, with Mark Pownall and Mark Beyer discussing the important business news and data stories from Western Australia. Welcome to our weekly podcast. Mark, it's been a week of budgets. Uh, Let's attack them one at a time. So let's consider the state budget first and its impact on local business. Well, Ben White came out on Thursday and the big theme I think that stood out was restraint on state government spending. After a long period of time when we had uh, rapid growth in spending feeding through to big increases in state debt, uh, the McGowan government is trying very hard to rein that in. And the one number that Ben Wyatt said he was proudest of, uh, growth in government spending in the coming financial year will be just 0.9%. Mm. So that's you know, an extraordinarily low number. Yeah. Um, over the next four years, they're saying spending growth will be just 1.2%. Um, compared to the last decade, it was nearly 7%. So. I guess a lot of us will be asking, can they sustain that? Um, There's a whole bunch of things behind it. Um, uh, They've got a a real tight rein on public sector wages. They've had a big redundancy program, cut about 2,000 people out of the public service and plans for more. Um, And he says it's just a, a, what they call their expenditure review committee in cabinet. Everything that comes up, they scrutinize it very tightly. And if people want to spend money, they tell, the, they tell the ministers, well, find a saving somewhere else. Yeah. Um, the other thing they're doing, though, and this does have an impact across uh, a range of businesses, a bigger focus on user pays. So the mining industry, for instance, um, they're going to have to start paying a trading levy that they've always been exempt from. Um, there's a scheme where the government offers exploration incentives for uh, exploration companies. That will, in fact, now be funded by the mining industry uh, with a new levy or a higher levy on mining tenements. Mm. Uh, People that go through the environmental approvals process or the land clearing process, they will have to contribute more. And the government's saying that a lot of this money will be reinvested to get better services, but that's certainly a theme. But yeah, overall, there wasn't um, any sort of dramatic major shifts in direction, which most people welcomed. Spending restraint leading gradually to a return to surplus, and that in turn will get get the net debt position under control. So that's yeah. the overall theme. Uh, and, and under control is, uh, you know, I guess that's the subjective element here, isn't it? That they get to a surplus, these, these much, much promised surpluses, and, and then there'll be a bit of debt reduction. But it's very easy come an elect, approaching election to start uh, <laughs> committing again, isn't it? And, and they've been a bit fortunate, I suppose, as well, that some of the capital expenditure that they've that they've uh, they plan to undertake is now getting funded by the federal government rather than out of their own coffers, correct? That's right. No, there's been a, a big kick up in Commonwealth uh, money coming into the state, uh, particularly for things like Metronet mm. and some of the other big capital projects. Um, another theme, um, we're gradually seeing a recovery in our share of GST grants. Now, it'll still be only something like 67% of what we would get on a per capita basis. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we're still getting a very raw deal, but that's, you know, coming off the lows that we had of, you know, 30 something percent. Yeah. So, but that's significant as well. 
Um, another one, um, listeners will recall there was a, a broadening of the payroll tax base um, in the last budget. Now, that is starting to have a big impact. So uh-huh. payroll tax is expected to grow very significantly over the next few years. Right, as we see employment rise as well, presumably as well. Helped also by that, yeah. yeah. And, and Mark, just back to Metronet, one of the criticisms I saw um, regarding capital expenditure was, from the opposition anyway, was that they had, they'd booked the federal government money but not their own commitment. So presumably there's a, there's a longer-term um, cost in developing the Metronet and they're, book, they're, they're using the federal money for the first part and, what, committing the state later, are they? Yeah, like Dean Alder has pointed out this, that he said, you know, where's the state commitment? He said, you know, we're still waiting to see the details. Mm. Um, so he and uh, Mike Naham are a bit frustrated. Um, they think there's some, uh, uh, well, oh, you know, clever accounting yeah, right. to help sort of put the best possible gloss on, on the state position. Gee, that'd be unusual. <laughs> <laughs> um, so you're right. Yes, um, we're still to see um, st- the state money come through to, to complete some of those big projects. And what about privatisations? I mean, again, you know, one of the big things they could have done, and they, they said they wouldn't do it, and they still won't do it, presumably, is Western Power. There are a couple of others floating around that are way less significant. Where, where, where are they at in this process? Yeah, look, the two that uh, the government is keen to pursue, or at least Ben Wyatt is keen to pursue, is Landgate, the, the land registry business, and the TAB. Um, now, he had been hoping that a decision on both of those would be made by now. They haven't got to that point. Uh, TAB, there's this sort of very long-running consultation process with the industry. Uh, but Ben Wyatt says he's confident that the industry will agree to the sale. But look, ballpark numbers floating around, yeah. they'll get maybe $250 million. But they haven't put that in the budget? No, no, no. Okay. no. Um, and, and as I think we've discussed this before, it's um, the old TAB is a business that's being sort of eaten away mm. by all the online gaming yeah. and all the new things. So if they privatised it years ago, they'd have made more money. Out would of have got a lot more money. They would have been the risk would have been in the private sector, not the public sector. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, Landgate is a potentially much larger transaction. Um, interstate South Australia and New South Wales have recently sold their land registries. Victoria's going through the same process. Mm-hmm. Um, the government's got advisors in there. Um, ben Wyatt's comment was that it's it's a complicated exercise, yep. but uh, they're certainly working on it. And that's sort of the flip of the TAB, isn't it? Because Landgate is ahead of the game in terms of digital uh, development. It's It's got a real future. It, it already sells its services from recollection to other land registries, uh, land title registries around the country. So privatising that is taking the taking the profit, having already taken the risk. Uh, so again, both seem to make sense to me. Uh, and federally, um, there's some crossover in the infrastructure spending, as we've discussed. Uh, what else um, matters to business? Yeah, well, I guess, I guess the big theme there was the tax cuts. Um, starting off with fairly modest tax cuts in the coming financial year, um, feeding through over, I mean, it's a seven-year program, um, altogether worth, I think, $140 billion. Yeah. But um, I think I share the the wariness of many people. Let's wait and see for that to actually be delivered before we uh, bank it. Um, But that's certainly the big selling point. Um, And then, of course, we've had Bill Shorten, 
looking to trump Scott Morrison hmm. uh, by promising even bigger tax cuts yeah. and more spending increases. Yeah, right. So debt seems to have got lost a bit Funny in that. this discussion. Yeah, because, and this is always the danger, isn't it? Um, Scott Morrison comes out and says, well, actually, the economy's turned the corner, things are looking good. Straight away, everyone wants to spend it. <laughs> it's amazing. Yeah, so we've got a you know, state government very focused on debt and getting that down, albeit slowly and gradually. Um, the federal, you know, the debate federally has shifted a lot. Um, I think also with these budgets, you know, a key thing is what are the underlying economic assumptions? Now, I know Alan Langford at Bank West put out a note and he expressed some wariness about some of the more optimistic assumptions in the federal budget. Mm-hmm. And then similarly with the state budget, uh, the folks at Deloitte Access Economics saying that there's actually a much more bullish assumptions about um, state growth in the state budget compared to what they'd been assuming yeah, okay. or anticipating. Interesting. So you know, if those forecasts about economic activity don't come to fruition, then of course the, the anticipated... Uh, right. So they, bo- they both rely on an increased tax take from growing employment and business activity, correct? That's right, yes. And I, and I hear the argument, I mean, federally you hear the argument because, you know, we haven't had wages growth, so blah, blah, blah. But, I mean, at some point there has to be. You just can't imagine that both the economic downturn that's occurred and whatever um, automation and digitisation is taking away uh, pressure on business to lift wages has to ultimately find some new balance and I think wages will start to rise again. So I suspect the government's and just anticipating that, that if they get an economic rise, there'll be wage rises. Locally, I see the same picture. Why wouldn't you? There's definitely going to be, you know, every sign is showing that there's going to be a pickup in economic activity. Uh, You don't need it to rise to the levels that we saw before to get a good outcome. So, you know, but I get it that some... Private forecasters are just a bit more conservative, and you know, and all forecasts that governments make tend to be wrong in time, don't they? That's certainly been the case. But is there also a bit of a mismatch there? You know, for each individual business, they're wanting to keep a very tight check on their wages bill. Yeah. And yet, from an economy-wide perspective, there's a view that yes, growth in wages will feed through to consumption and economic spending and activity and so on. Sure. Yeah, mismatch. I agree with that. But then you do have that idea that you know you have if you have tax cuts to business, that they've got a little bit more flexibility. And you know, I know that people want business to promise to lift wages, but I think I think I suspect that if if they're feeling a bit more flush, they will if they're competing. And certainly here, the you know the the, the labour shortage story in in a number of key skilled areas is getting more and more prominent. I'm hearing it more and more often. And that will drive wage increases here for sure. Um, people have cut back to a, to the level, the lowest level they can, and now they, they can basically add employment and lift wages to get the right people across. So I think there will be a bit of it. I'm, I'm confident. Okay. Uh, now, um, Politically, the federal budget was somewhat lost by news of several by-elections that are uh, due nationally um, due to the citizenship issue. Now, WA only has one of those at this stage, but we also have some other by-elections for different reasons, so it's been quite a a tumultuous um, week. Quite extraordinary that 
in the space of one week, we've had three uh, sitting members of parliament having to either you know, resign, well, all resigning. Um, one of them was about to be kicked out. So yeah, Tim Hammond, federal member for Perth, is resigning for family reasons. Yeah. Uh, Barry Urban, state member for Darling Range, um, was about to be expelled uh, because of um, his you know, claims he'd made about his past experience <coughs> and his qualifications and his service record all proved to be false. Mm. He's um, still taken a wage for a year too, hasn't he? It's that's right. Disgraceful. And the third one now, Josh Wilson, the federal member for Fremantle, uh, has had to resign after the High Court ruling um, around um, you know, failing to take sufficient steps to uh, uh, renounce his English citizenship. Yeah. Um, and yeah, as I say, and several others around the country. And now, um, Anne Ali, um, and I mean, these are all Labor members of, or had been elected as Labor members. Yep. A fourth one, Anne Ali, uh, member for Cowan, now questions about her citizenship. Yep. Um, she had been a dual citizen, says she renounced her Egyptian citizenship, um, but now people are saying, show us the details. Mm. So, yeah, so in the next uh, couple of months, we're going to have at least three by-elections in WA and several others around the country. Um, I think the state seat of Darling Range will be the most interesting because in terms of changing hands. I mean, it had been a Liberal seat for many years. Um, in fact, nobody really expected Labor to win it. Um, Barry Urban was never meant to be an MP. Mm. Um, he got a 16% swing, as I recall, at yep. the last state election. So um, all those lies would have been hidden. Exactly, yes. It would have been academic. Um, so, yeah, so there's a chance there for the Liberals to pick up another seat in the state parliament uh, to bolster their very modest numbers at the moment. Um, and it means, I guess, we're going to see, effectively, um, a chance for the punters to, to express a view on where uh, Malcolm Turnbull's team is taking things and, and Bill Shorten's credibility. Yeah, yeah, no, and and, uh, and I guess that's what we're seeing with both... I guess whilst this did swamp the budget discussion, it's also brought it into a different kind of focus and you've seen Bill Shorten, as you say, offer more tax cuts, so he's obviously realised the lay of the land, go in hard and uh, he's, got to, he's got to shore up himself in the next in the next month or so for these by-elections, otherwise he'll be the one whose leadership is at risk, right? Uh, now, Mark, um, just to change tack a bit, I mean, maybe Baron, Barry Urban is a, is, a, is, a, is a kind of a segue between these two things, but um, there are a bundle of what I think in here we call regulatory matters uh, that have arisen in the past week that are collectively interesting, but um, I find especially with the backdrop of the Banking Royal Commission exposing a lot of bad behaviour, you kind of it, it kind of makes these ones other things that are not linked to that smaller in their own right, but collectively, I don't know, it just seems to be a kind of uh, there's a time to be looking at these things, yeah. Look, uh, you know, we focus overwhelmingly here about what the business sector is doing, um, albeit today's discussion is around you know, what government, the, the framework government's creating. But look, as you say. Several examples of the importance of either regulators or courts in the business world. So um, ASIC um, announced during the week they'd permanently banned an insurance broker 
mm-hmm. who'd been at one of the big firms in town. Um, we see a regular flow of these, where the regulators are coming out, and, and ASIC in particular, seeing people behave inappropriately. Now, the Banking Royal Commission suggests there's a whole lot more out there that you know ASIC could have fingered, but you know they're very active, can't be ignored. Another one, the Building Commission. They came out with a warning about a building company called Archie Apps, not, not one of the biggest firms around, mm. but are basically saying, watch out for these people. Yep. They're, they're not paying their bills. Uh, the director there is a person named Scotty Feng. So, you know, this is quite unusual for a regulator to come out and say, we're worried about these people, they're still in business, but you be careful. Mm. Um, another one... Uh, fascinating case, the Corruption and Crime Commission um, has taken action against a couple of people who'd been involved at Horizon Power. Um, Paul Thomas was an employee. He set up an IT business with his friend Anthony Rasper called Trusted Solutions. Yeah. And then... Uh, and then contracted them to do work for Horizon con- Power. Absolutely. <laughs> Which he, he was the one signing it off, I presume. And then... Uh, his wife subsequently got a job in there, got paid more than other people doing the same work. Yeah, right. Um, complete lack of disclosure about the conflict of interest here. Um, some very um, incriminating emails that have come to light. Um, so, you know, for all the people that are out there thinking they can uh, push the regulatory boundaries, well, here are three examples yeah. where the regulators have caught up. Another one, um, for all the people that go down south, and drive through Dunsborough would be aware there's been a long-running dispute down there about plans for a new Puma service station. Yep. There was a Supreme Court ruling on Thursday, and it looks like that development will now go ahead. Mm. Now, How long has that been delayed? Four years? Oh, years, yes. I can't recall exactly how long that's been running around, but, yeah, very long time. And, look, and it's been through um, the local council was involved, the development assessment panel was involved, the State Administrative Tribunal, now it's gone to the Supreme Court, and it appears that the developers have finally won the case. And quite extraordinary in a sense, um, the key thing was, is it a petrol station or a convenience store? Yeah. Now, under the law, it's defined as a convenience store, Mm. um, which some people might scratch their heads about, but that's the law. And, and what was the issue that the, that the council didn't want to have competition in? Uh, was just not allowing competition in petrol service? Is that right? And well, I think there was a general sense that this was a the kind of development that that wasn't in keeping with what people wanted to be a sort of a, a nice folksy sort of beachside town. Right. They didn't want a big servo with lots of traffic going up and down the main street. Mm. They wanted it to happen sort of out of town, away from the centre of town. Yeah. Right. And that then led to this whole debate about, well, what powers do we have to block it? I see. Um, so there's sort of, the, if you like, the substantive argument, then there's the legal argument. Mm. The developers appear to have um, had success. And so if you're in Dunsborough, every expectation there'll be a Puma service station coming your way. Convenience store, Mark. <laughs> um, all right, well, that's uh, fascinating. And I guess, uh, you know, somewhat pointing down south with that last uh, reference. Um, that w- that's uh, relevant to our special report this week, the wine industry. Katie McDonald wrote that. 
um, it seems China has now become WA's biggest export market for wine. Yeah, look, Katie's gone out and spoken to a lot of prominent people in the wine industry, uh, people like Peter Fogarty, uh, Murray McHenry, um, Vanya Cullen. We've also spoken to Jeff Birch. Um, and yeah, that's, that's the big theme. Um, you know, as listeners would know, the Western Australia and Margaret River in particular is a producer of premium quality wines, you know, much more so than other states where it's sort of higher volume production. And China's the big focus. 35% growth in exports of bottled wine to China last year. Yeah, right. Now the number one market. Uh, traditionally, the UK was number one export market. And in fact, for the rest of the country, that's still the case. Um, but for WA, it's now China. Um, and you know, this has been a, an area of interest for quite a few years, mm. and it looks like it's starting to pay dividends. Yeah, yeah. And, and people up there are, um, are getting uh, good prices. Um, and in fact, you know, one of the themes that Katie explores as well is this growth of organic wine production. Um, that's a product that where there's very keen demand in the Asian market. Um, and another theme as well is the linkages with tourism. Um, of course. Chinese people coming down to Australia, a lot of them like, yeah, visiting wineries as part of the tour. And another group, she spoke to Grant Brinklow out at Sandalford. You know, they've had a, a big focus on, on building their wineries as a, a tourism and hospitality destination. Um, and and done very well in that regard. Yeah. So no. So a, a really good, interesting read um, about some of the the trends in that area. Yeah. Look, I'm uh, looking forward to that one. So thank you. Uh, subscribers might notice they have a new resource at their fingertips. You can now see your past thirty days activity on our website, listing the stories, lists, companies, and people pages that you have opened in the past month. It serves as something of a saved searches resource for paid users and will be visible if your cursor over the logout button on a desktop or hit the logout button on a mobile device. Why not have a go and see what you've got there? Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to Mark My Words with Mark Powell and Mark Beyer from Business News. For more information, please go to businessnews.com.au forward slash podcasts. And to receive these regularly, search for Business News WA in iTunes or SoundCloud.